The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3. If you're coming joining us live, then do us a favor and smash that like button. It helps us out. It helps grow the show. And subscribe, of course, to the Cover 3 podcast on YouTube. Smash the bell for notifications so that you get an alert any time that we go live. Uh, college football is you know starting to spring up in the air. We, we mentioned the Clemson Tigers hitting the practice field this week. We're starting to see all across country some of those power conference programs are getting in action. We will be detailing some of the takeaways and storylines from that all throughout the next coming months. So make sure, of course, that uh, you are keeping it locked right here. But today's episode is a fun one because it is one that invites in you, uh, the viewers and the listeners of the Cover 3 podcast. We're going to tackle the mailbag. And uh, if you want to add a question to the big old bag of mail, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review. And in that review, uh, put your question and we'll add it to the big old bag of mail. Uh Let's get, I mean, any any uh, business or housekeeping that we need to knock out? I know we're excited. You know, we got casts coming off. You know, we got we got big days here in the, in the extended Cover 3 family. Um, how, how's everybody doing? Kenny Pickett's got eight and a half inch hands. That is the big story yeah. of the day. Oh, that's right. We're combining. We're combining. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, like he's got Whopper Jr. hands? Yeah. He's got tiny little hands. The... Um, he was wearing gloves and couldn't grip the ball at the senior bowl. They're going to start dissecting this. Oh, I hate I hate that aspect of it. I mean, Joe Burrow had the best. Like, do you go that route and just say, I should retire now, like troll everybody? That could look really bad if you're not Joe Burrow. You know, like in a couple years, it could be back to haunt him. Kenny Pickett has amounts of swag, but it is not the amount of swag that Joe no. Burrow has in terms of being able to uh, come and create a big character out of it. This class sucks for quarterbacks. <laughs> I'm just going to like, yes. I w- if I was a team in need of a quarterback, I would be panicking. I would be kicking the tires on Mitchell Trubisky. I'd be, you know, looking at Jameis Winston. I would be looking at any other option. And it's not, I don't want to rip them because I think there might be some value in the second round, but if you're a team and your expectation is first round, I would not want to touch any of them in the first round. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say they suck, but <laughs> I will say the class sucks. Not each, not okay. in the individual. I will say though, like I have the the more I've been prepping for the draft and doing all this stuff, it's like the more into Malik Willis I'm getting, just because he's the only one that really shows any kind of signs of anything special. Upside. Yep. Upside could be there. By the way. Just so we're clear, my class of 1996 might be the worst draft class of all time. So <laughs> I'm speaking from a place of expertise. Tony Banks was the first quarterback selected. Uh, I believe it was the second round. I don't think we had a first rounder. Jeff Lewis out of Northern Arizona, who is no longer with us. R.I.P. Isn't Jeff that a Lewis. Juco? Uh, 
No, I thought it was. No, it's FCS. Yeah, it's okay, FCS. It's FCS. He played there. Uh, then Bobby Hoying was taken right before me from Ohio, Ohio State. State. Yeah, it was not an illustrious class. It definitely might be the worst class of all time. And this one, I don't even I don't think it'll challenge that, but it's it's not great. Was it the full all draft in one day for you? First three rounds were on the first Saturday, and then it carried over to Sunday. And that was the longest night of my life, Saturday I, to Sunday. Because I thought I would get picked in the third round, worst case, and I didn't. And it was like I was getting ready to send out applications to, you know, medical school or go back to, you know, master's, something. You know, I did not want to go in the real world, but I thought my football career was done because I didn't get picked. I miss when they did the draft like that. Like, I liked the two days just nonstop marathon because you just sit down that weekend and you would watch the entire thing and get it over with. I don't like that they've stretched it out to like four days or three days now. Well, there was the one year where the first round took like four hours. Yeah. And they kind yeah. of realized we the can't. First primetime episode one, mm-hmm. I think. And then they gave it from 15 to 10 or 12 or whatever they cut it down to. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking but, of quarterbacks, um, I've been telling you guys for a long time, hey, that quarterback class uh, of 20, was it 2019 QB recruiting class? The, how it sucked? Uh, the yes, one with yeah, Spencer yeah. And, at number one. And now, yeah, yeah exactly. Now we're seeing the, the fruits of that. Like you don't have the – there's no good early entries in in this this class from that 2019 class. Like maybe maybe, you know maybe Malik Willis. Uh, your your following that was pretty good. We think Bryce Young obviously, uh, and there's some obviously CJ Shroud and those dudes for next year. But our class of 2023 rankings just dropped yesterday on 24/7 Sports. Big you know, three month deep dive, a lot of debates every Wednesday, two sometimes three hour calls, breaking guys down. A lot of effort going into this. You can listen to more on the uh, 24-7 Sports College Ball Recruiting Podcast if you want 30-minute deep dive. Our top three players are quarterbacks right now. Mm. Arch Manning, number one. Malachi Nelson, number two. The USC commit. Uh, and then Nico Ayamalieva, who, to be frank, he could end up number one. Like, Arch Manning's number one. There's no real reason for us to not think Arch Manning is number one right now. Every time we see him throw in person, he really wows. He obviously knows where to go with the ball. He's much more athletic, I think, than his uh, his uncles were. And he, he he can dunk. You know, he, he's he's got some juice to him. Who are his uncles? Uh, Never heard yeah. of. Them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, this is a nice quarterback class for us. Um, I mean, we're, to to be confident enough to put those three guys one, two, three, is not something we often do. Uh, and that's over a corner like Cormani McLean, who is you know a, a no doubt uh, stud right now. And then Dante Moore out of Detroit is actually number eight. So we have four quarterbacks right now in our top 10. So uh, more good quarterbacks on the way uh, to college football. Arch, 10 million NIL. Is that the, I mean, it's gotta be right. I mean, it's all low to, for four like, years or for one year. I was thinking one year, like that's oh, for one year. Yeah. That's year probably deal will probably be, especially like you consider like there's the commercial out now with Peyton, Eli and Archie. Like if you package him with those as part of the family, forget it. Like he's yeah. it's gonna be off the charts. His especially his if the Manning family does launch this network that's been rumored in media circles. Ooh, I didn't know what what, what? what are you talking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I heard a rumor today. An over the top see if that's a real thing. An over the top streaming. Yeah, an over the top streaming Manning Plus. What are we talking about here? <laughs> uh yeah. Bud just let, let let some rumors fly here live on the cover three podcast. <laughs> um, we, hey, by the way, speaking of NIL, a very good question from the mailbag. We're going to hit in just a little bit. Now, looking at what the future might look like in the NIL era for some of these programs that might not be able to afford $10 million in one year uh, for an arch Manning. We'll get to that in a little bit. Want to start with some March madness. This question coming from Topher. Love you guys and the discussion on NIL. I know it's a college football pod and not college basketball, but the but Bud's thoughts, but the thoughts Bud shared made me think we're on the verge of losing the NCAA basketball tournament as we know it. As top conferences and schools are going to be able to pay their players, I don't see it happening at a place like Hofstra or Ohio. Do you foresee power conferences creating their own basketball tournament and leaving the small schools behind would be a very sad day for American sports. Hmm. I don't. I, I I don't foresee it because the um you 
we already have the different sports operating in different ways and even programs playing in different conferences based on what sport it is. Um, and we saw that with the Big East. You know, we've seen that with um, uh, hockey. You know, like there are sports where you can operate in different conferences and different jurisdictions. And so when, if we were to spend, for example, great conversation with Dennis Dodd earlier this week, if we were to spin it off where the college football playoff as an entity breaks away from the NCAA, it sets its own rules, it sets its own oversight, it handles uh, all of the liability that we discussed, it also gets to declare the national champion, all of all that stuff is sort of under the, the CFP umbrella I think that the schools, even if we were in a world where players are being paid in the college football playoff division, uh, I still think that those schools would be able to field the rest of its sports um, in a way that operate within the NCAA. And I think that the tournament itself still holds a high value, certainly financially, but even to the ideals of college athletics where they would find a way to make it happen. I'm going to say the other way because – in the Alston versus the NCAA, it wasn't just football players. It was basketball and women's basketball. I think those were the three, right? Was there another one I'm missing? Men's I think it was all women's basketball, football. Yeah, I think that was it. I think those were the sports that were, you know, brought up, which was for employment and like those are the three for the labor relations lawsuit in california with ucla and usc they have targeted those three and grouped them together when like revenue revenue generating sports basketball and football seems to be the the one the two that they have targeted so i worry about what does that mean where maybe it does look different and the college football playoff runs the college football playoff the ncaa actually runs the ncaa you know tournament so it is different I wonder if there would be a split off of something or that we get something that looks completely different in basketball too. What I think we're going to have happen, and this is not an original thought. This is something Matt Brown basically hinted at when we had him on for the little one-on-one interview, Matt Brown of extra points talking about the transformation committee is that right. I think that the power leagues will probably pressure the NCAA to reduce the number of automatic bids for instance, right now, all 32 conferences get automatic bids. It's probably realistic in the future to, to think that, hey, the top 24 conference champions will receive automatic bids and everybody else will be you know, playing for at-larges. I think that there is a decent chance in this. OK, Matt thinks there's a decent chance that the power leagues will exert their leverage to force things like that so they don't have to keep splitting the pool with all these really small teams, which kind of sucks, but also like we, we really enjoy all the upsets and I love watching it on CBS. Uh, but a lot of those teams do get crushed. And you know, this is, it's, if you want another reminder that college sports is a business that we all happen to love and root for, uh, you know, we don't have to love the business aspects of it, but that's where he thinks it's going. He doesn't actually think they're going to break away, but he thinks they will use their leverage to probably get more. Uh, they call it units, right? For every team that makes the tournament, you, you get a unit, and your units determine your share of the NCAA's revenue pool. Yeah, it's that which he thinks is driving 11. conference expansion by, or, or uh, excuse me, uh, conference consolidation and, and conference expansion. Like he thinks that that's what's going to drive some of that at the lower levels. Like the Atlantic Sun, um, you know, some of these other conferences, they are beefing up in a way where they are they are trying to prepare themselves for a twenty four bid world instead of the current. Um, auto bid world as it sits, which like would do damage to some of those conferences that do end up putting their champions in the 16 line and the 15 line and the 14 yeah. line. Like you're Eight 100% leagues would be left right. out, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you guys think the NCAA? So you guys think the NCAA tournament stays March Madness, big event? It just looks different from the teams that are in it, and they'll and be maybe more not even represent- that much. Right. You know, we'll just see more 21 and 12 Big Ten teams than the uh, the teams that are coming in there as conference champions from some of the lower leagues. Boo. <laughs> yeah, boo, boo indeed. Indiana. I mean, what great news for Indiana basketball after missing the tournament so many times. But it does suck when you get an upset in the conference championship game and, like, the regular season team was incredible. Maybe, you know, a really solid record, even in the top 25, but then they get beat because some team gets hot from three and then that team gets to advance the tournament, but... Uh, you guys are right. We'll see that. Well, that's what we want for football. 
<laughs> more three and four, like like arguing for more three and four loss teams to be in the college football playoff, arguing for more 12 loss power conference teams in the NCAA tournament. It It is, to Bud's point, all about these programs and conferences that are arguing we are the reason for the television ratings. And if we are the reason for the television ratings, then we want to have more representation when it's time to decide a national championship on the biggest stage. The only change I would make to the NCAA tournament, which is not the question we were asked, and it is not my idea, many people have brought it up, is for the play-in games right now with the AQs, even from those tiny-ass little conferences who only get one school in, if you win your conference, you should not have to play a play-in game. All the play-in games on that Tuesday and Wednesday should be of teams on the bubble. Because right now, two of the games essentially are playing games. The two yeah. 16s and then uh, the the 11s are always at-large teams that were not conference champions. Mm -hmm. That's the change I would make. I mean, that would, I'd, I'd be cool with that. It'd be, it would lead to much better games and more entertain, like better ratings. Because honestly, like when you think of those games on that those first two nights. Well, it's like the MEAC's always there. The MEAC really game is always playing on Tuesday, and you don't even know if you're going to get a chance to go and get a crack at Kansas or yeah. Baylor, like whoever's going to be in the one seat. Yeah. And how many people are really tuning in to see a 16 and a 16 go at it for the right to lose to Kansas in the first round? Not many, but if you're turning in for a couple power conference teams who, you know, might make a run or at least just, you know, that would, I feel like be better ratings, but you know, whatever. UCLA, Michigan state, like those, those sorts of games. Yeah. yeah. And Indiana fans could watch so they could see what an NCAA tournament game looks like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just just flames for Indiana Hoosiers basketball fans right now. By the way, uh, you're probably not going to be able to pick Indiana to win a championship in the bracket, but you can pick a champion in a bracket because we have a bracket game ongoing. If you go to cbsports.com slash cover three brackets, again, that is cbsports.com slash cover three brackets, we are going to be doing a bracket challenge. Uh, might have some some prizes for our big time winners, and uh, and we will look forward to compete against you uh, in that. Again, that is cbsports.com slash cover three brackets. Go and join our cover three bracket challenge. All right. Next question comes from Fluky McDookie. <laughs> <laughs> Can't make that up. Uh, love the pod. It keeps me alive during this tough time without football. Mailbag question. As a Boise fan, we are in a weird situation. With the group of five, as many top teams have left their conferences, what would be the ideal scenario for the Broncos? We stay in the Mountain West or move up to a Power Five conference because the possibility of that being the highest ranked group of five team, you know, that might be higher than getting a, get that automatic bid than if you were to make the playoff from a Power Five conference, especially if expansion were to happen anytime soon. So, Boise State, Boise State fans, would you rather stay in the Mountain West, supposedly be the big dog, and have a chance to win the conference and maybe an easier path to the college football playoff in an automatic bid for the highest-ranked group of five scenario, especially as Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, all these teams are now joining Power Five conferences, or... Do you think that joining a Power 5 conference would be a better move for Boise State big picture? I would rather stay in the Mountain West. I mean, like if Boise State joins a Power 5 conference, does it suddenly become a national title contender? I I look at the I love you, Coco. I look at the West Virginia example, and it's something that I think Bud brings up a lot. When you, know, Bud, I feel like your line is "Go ask West Virginia," and when you are just take the like, check, take the losses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like when you're like that far geographically, when you are not playing the same game in terms of the arms race against the rest of your conference opponents. I mean, West West Virginia from a uh, athletic department facilities and everything else perspective paired against Texas. I know Texas is off to the SEC, but the point remains there's just a massive gap. And I think that for Boise State, let's say it, it, it was to join the Big 12, you would find yourself being another geographic and, and potentially uh, investment outlier in the conference. And so I think I'd, I think I would rather be the big dog in the Mountain West and take my shot that uh, our season is going to be better than the winner of the Sun Belt or the winner of the American uh, MAC or Conference USA. What I can't know here is the the financial future of Boise, right? Like for a clear for a path to the playoff or a path to some of these access games, 
uh, it probably makes more sense to stay in the Mountain West. If Boise joined the Big 12 or you know, the the PAC, which is not going to happen academically, like the Pac-12 is not going to not going to allow that, uh, and the Big 12, I don't think is going to expand to add Boise anytime soon. Uh, they would probably be on a much better stance financially, but they would almost certainly not finish first very often, resource-wise, etc. So if they can afford to stay in the Mountain West and stay viable, uh, then I think it makes more sense to stay in the Mountain West. But if the money gets so big that some of these you know smaller schools get swallowed up, uh, or not swallowed up, but just kind of you know overwhelmed by how much it takes to compete against Power Five schools, then obviously you need to try to throw a hail mary and and get into a conference, which I believe Boise has done, and I don't think other, other I don't think conferences want Boise. You know, like that's not an easy travel. They're not really great in other sports. Oftentimes, it's kind of a football thing. Um, I don't know. It, it's an interesting question. I, I'd, I'd be curious that, to know what Boise thinks about its finances long term, and also if we do end up going to some sort of FBS plus, right? Not, not strictly Power Five leagues breaking off, but maybe Power Five plus fifteen others. I assume Boise gets in that, right? Mm. Like we need teams to take losses. There's a reason the SEC needs Vanderbilt and South Carolina and Mississippi State, right? Like they, you need some teams to lose ball games in your leagues, and you need some teams to lose ball games in your division. So I think they would have a real shot to go if we had some kind of breaking off of the Power Five plus, you know, however many others. Awesome, man. I just, man. I just imagined the end all be all. I just imagined every Mississippi State and South Carolina fan irritated that you just put them in the same group as Vanderbilt, but they take L's. They don't win. Yeah, they, they, no, win I, I agree. Won anything. No, you're stating you the weren't fact. born. I yeah. wasn't. I wasn't born. No, uh, I was going to take the other. They never won anything. I mean, you can be hundred years old. You still have one damn thing. <laughs> I was going to take the other side and say, absolutely, you want to get to a Power Five conference as quickly as possible. But you guys bring up some really good points. Primarily other sports, but wouldn't that elevate your other sports? Like the, it's all about resources and talent, right? That's, and I think you have challenges of both. Now, yes, you're you have a unique situation, blue turf. You have a brand, but I think the the shifts of college football are going to leave you behind, and that is why UCF and some of these other programs are trying to get to the Power Five, Cincinnati. But there are some significant hurdles because, and you know, you go to Utah, who's had a really great transition. TCU's had a solid transition, uh, but they're in real like attractive cities that are easy to travel to, that geographically make a lot of sense. So, I don't know. I I I, I think this is a tricky one. I do think Tom, like I don't like, and I was going to ask the question: Do you want to just get to the playoff, or do you want to try to win it? And if you want to try to win it, then you have to start thinking out 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. You're not going to win anytime soon, but you need to start competing, recruiting wise, facility wise, with those schools in the Power Five, and you're just simply not going to do that if you're left behind. But yeah. I do want to point out, uh, so I don't get totally flamed. Boise basketball this year is actually pretty good. Yeah, I was going to say yeah, they've already won the Mountain I meant like across the board, and who knows? Sure, I just have a Boise. I knew I said we're good in the yeah. you know, since it's a Boise question, here's a good analogy for you because I've, I've we've been uh, binging Yellowstone. We're still in season three, so if you're ahead, no spoilers. But like you know, everyone has daddy issues. The Yellowstone Ranch, it's huge. It's the big dog. A lot of people trying to come take it. A lot of other ranchers there maybe have a smaller ranch, just living a nice, good life where they're not having people get killed and kidnapped all the time. Just saying, maybe you're fine in the Mountain West. Maybe you don't need the Yellowstone Ranch. It is also, um, it has come to mind that Boise, to your point, Tom, think about the head coaches that we, like Chris Peterson, is someone who is very, very committed to player development, culture building, you know, the the things that are not recruiting arms race NIL booster collective. Brian Harson, player development, culture building, the things that are not, you know, uh, arms race NIL booster collective type stuff. I think that there might be something to be said about Boise State as a as a football program culturally being a better fit in the Mountain West and being the top dog and having better access to get into the playoff than trying to to step into that game where you're going to be competing against um, these these universities that are trying very very quickly to 
generate a lot of money to be able to go and get NIL deals for the top talent where again, Chris Peterson, Brian Harson, we don't, we don't exactly look at either one of those coaches as the like ace top of the line recruiting first coaches. And I think in the power conference world, you have to have a real commitment to recruiting if you want to be able to, to succeed. I'll also say as somebody who's a fan of a program that is in a power five conference and is not annually competing for anything special, being being the big fish in a small pond is pretty sweet gig to have. Wait, you saying Illinois is not? I'm just saying Illinois is not like a powerful program. I know this is a shock to you three, but I'm just <laughs> telling you, it's like you know, it's like the Illinois is not one in the Big Ten. It's like you can be in a Power Five conference, and okay, cool. If your goal is to maybe go seven and five once in a while, and that you'll be happy with that, okay, cool. But I'd rather be going, you know, eleven and one and winning my conference and feeling good about my team every year. Assuming that you can you can stay viable financially, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. With the 50th anniversary of Title IX and Women's History Month during March, the Attacking Third podcast will release a five-episode series focusing on trailblazers in women's sports. Each episode will feature prominent guests with distinct themes and backgrounds, highlighting their groundbreaking paths to be recognized as some of the most important women in sports history. This series will expand outside the world of women's soccer to focus on athletes and icons across all of sports. Once again, this is the Attacking Third podcast on the CBS Sports Network, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Title IX and Women's History Month. During this March, you can find the Attacking Third podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on the other side... An Oklahoma fan had to say goodbye to Caleb Williams. But should they be as equally excited about the arrival of Dylan Gabriel? Getting into that and thoughts on the Georgia Bulldogs in 2022 and more next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This question comes from Nate. Hey, fellas, my sister is a diehard Sooners fan, and I am a diehard Huskers fan. She had a crush on Sam Bradford going up, so that's the story. Okay. Uh, We were talking about Caleb Williams versus Dylan Gabriel. Am I crazy to think that the Sooners are better off with Gabriel over Williams? Gabriel has bigger sample size, more consistent success across sample sizes, and did not get benched for Spencer Rattler. Parentheses, people seem to forget about that, dot, dot, dot. I'm not one of those dudes who who thinks OU is better off without Lincoln Riley because I'm not crazy. But Williams seems way overrated. He almost lost to Kansas, which I suppose is better than losing to Kansas, looking at you, Texas. Hashtag sad Husker fan nano. This is an incredible email. (laughs) <laughs> or, or review. I mean, he he gets to take shots at, at the quarterback who transferred out. He gets to take shots at Texas. He gets, he gets to praise the incoming quarterback. Um, and talk about his sister's crushes. <laughs> yeah, like this is th- well done. That that is a great email, and we we love Oklahoma fans on this podcast for sure. Uh, they don't love right. us. No, uh, uh-uh. 
and I I didn't know who Teddy Layman was. So uh, <laughs> did you guys? Yes. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, really, really good linebacker for Oklahoma. Now, now he does radio. Um, anyway, so he won the Buckers or mm-hmm. the um, yeah. I think Dylan Gabriel is probably pretty talented. I've seen him here a couple times. I know Danny's seen him throw in person. Danny had to jump. Uh, but arm talent-wise, I think he's pretty solid. I will say it is difficult to determine how good these quarterbacks are in this Baylor-style offense because mm-hmm. everybody who plays in this puts up great numbers. It's basically a cheat code in college football because you're taking advantage of the hash marks, right? It just it creates explosive plays. Tennessee is running it. You know, UCF ran it obviously with Levy, uh, and now Levy is you know um, is it is you know is there. So at, at Oklahoma, uh, that's why Gabriel went there. I think you'll put up really big numbers there. Would I rather have Caleb Williams? Yes, I think Caleb Williams is more talented. I think he would put up bigger numbers in that system than Gabriel would. But I think Oklahoma fans should be very excited to have Gabriel. And I think Oklahoma will put up big-time numbers because everybody who runs that offense in college football puts up huge numbers. Now, we'll ignore what happens to those guys when they get to the NFL because basically everybody in that offense that goes to the NFL uh, has totally busted. But we said the same thing about the air raid until it didn't, right, until Patrick Mahomes busted out. So I'm sure somebody will be the first NFL good quarterback to come from that Baylor-style offense that Oklahoma is now running. Uh, And I think Gabriel will do well there. Yeah, I, I did some breaking down of this to, to prepare for the question. Uh, I, I'm with you. I'd rather have Caleb Williams than Dylan Gabriel, just from a talent perspective and from the fact that I'll get Caleb Williams for two more seasons. You're going to get Gabriel for one year. But I do think Dylan Gabriel's a good quarterback, and I do think Dylan Gabriel's got a lot to like. It's just if you look, yes, the sample size for Gabriel is much larger. He's played in over twice as many games. He's thrown four times as many passes. But... Caleb Williams has a higher completion rate. He has a higher yards per attempt. He has a higher touchdown to interception ratio. He has a higher passing efficiency. He gets sacked more often than Dylan Gabriel does, but that also goes along the lines of Caleb Williams being young and also being a lot more reliant on his legs. He's more willing to run, and that's another thing, too. If you look at the numbers last year, Caleb Williams had six rushes of at least 40 yards last season. In his entire career, Dylan Gabriel has had five rushes of 20 yards or more and has never had a 30-yard rush. So there's just that kind of element that Caleb Williams brings to your offense where if things break down, he can leave the pocket, take off, and run for a 50-yard touchdown. You don't see Dylan Gabriel doing that. And then also, if you just look at their throwing, Gabriel is accurate down the field to the left of the hash marks. He's lefty, so that makes sense. When he's throwing that way, he's accurate past 20 yards but there's really kind of a very large dead zone in his arm where from behind the line of scrimmage to 10 air yards very accurate those short throws he's very good with the ball but once you get past that his accuracy gets really spotty over the middle and it gets really spotty to the right except for a couple areas downfield to his left Caleb Williams has shown much better signs for that and against much smaller sample size but we've seen more accuracy with him on his deep ball to all parts of the field so I would rather have Caleb Williams. I think your offense is a lot more dynamic with Caleb Williams than it is with Dylan Gabriel, but you can win with Dylan Gabriel. And I will say, like I've heard the Caleb Williams almost lost to Kansas from a lot of Oklahoma fans. A lot of the players who were on that team on that field that day almost losing to Kansas are still on your team. It wasn't just Caleb Williams. Kansas was scoring points too. Caleb Williams is not way overrated. He might be pretty talented. Yeah, he's, he, not, he's not a complete yeah. product yet. He was a freshman. You might be sick of Caleb Williams, the name, Caleb Williams, the star, Caleb Williams, the like figure that's on Good Morning America and will probably be like one of the more like highly publicized figures around college football heading into the season next year. But Caleb Williams, when he is on the field on Saturdays, is not way overrated. He absolutely lives up to uh, what his long-term projections are where we can see okay, this is step one where we imagine that three years from the end of his high school that he is going to be a first round or in the caliber of a first round NFL draft pick. I believe that he's not underrated. I believe he's rightly rated. I do will say to Oklahoma fans, and this is like very, very small margins, but um, the season where Dylan Gabriel had his best passer rating and his best yards per attempt 
were his freshman season when his offensive coordinator was Jeff Levy. And so if mm-hmm. you are linking right back up with someone, he was the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach. Like this is uh, another situation where um, you ha- you are at least trusting that this transfer quarterback is not showing up and starting from scratch. This transfer quarterback is showing up and taking to coaching that has already worked well and re-entering a relationship that has already been productive. So in addition to Dylan G- Gabriel, the prospect, Dylan Gabriel, what has he shown? What can he do? I think from a team perspective, you just, you got to love the the fact that he's linking back up with Levy. Yeah, and I also think, I mean, with Dylan Gabriel at quarterback, Oklahoma has one of the best quarterbacks in the Big 12. I don't know if I don't I'd rather have Caleb Williams, but you still you're still in a very good position. But one thing to be concerned about, though, is he did break his, you know, collarbone last year, his clavicle. And I don't think that's going to impact him coming back. But we have seen when guys break that, it's a lot easier to break it a second time. I'm going to read you guys Baylor's all time single season passing leaders. Oh, God. They're all the Browse offense. This is a cheat code in college football. Dylan Gabriel, I think, will kill it there. It almost doesn't matter who plays quarterback for you, right? Like to win a lot of games. Now, if you want to win in like a playoff game, obviously, you, I think you probably need a dude. But Robert Griffith, Nick Florence, Bryce Petty, Bryce Petty again, Seth Russell, Blake Seismanski, who I don't remember, uh, Robert Griffin again, Seth Russell, Sean Bell, who actually was before Browse, and then Charlie Brewer. Guys, this offense puts up ridiculous numbers. The, the only real questions I have about Gabriel, in addition to what Tom stated, um, I, I have two more if I can add. Number one, how willing to run is he? Because remember, he got popped against Louisville and ended his season. So is how willing to scramble will, be, will he be? Uh, is he willing to go on design runs? We'll, we'll see. Uh, the other thing I would point out here is that his QBR against man – was 98. His QBR against zone was 42. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So it was more than double. And that the, the, the adjusted net yards per attempt also tracks, right? 15.2 uh, against man and 6.8 against zone. Now, that's a small sample size because he got hurt early in the year. So I don't know how, much, how many conclusions we can really draw from this. And I don't have uh, the numbers from previous years for those stats, unfortunately. I was only on 120 dropbacks. To me, that's probably too small of a sample. I'm going to put that more in the intriguing things that I'm going to watch bucket. Uh, But there's a whole lot of teams that play a lot of zone in the Big 12. And they play a lot of red zone roulette. And they've seen this Baylor-type offense before, obviously. Like, they're the the original league that got torched by it. I'll be interested to see how, uh, how Levy and those guys do adjusting if teams start doing what Baylor did to that old Miss type offense in the Sugar Bowl. Is I was trying to run through the competition, Tom, because I liked your I liked the statement. And I, I hadn't actually stacked all the Big 12 quarterbacks against each other. But are, are we are we talking about an unproven Quinn Ewers or Hudson Card? Who who else would be in that conversation for best quarterback in the Big 12? Because the fact that I couldn't come up with a yeah, I, the fact that I couldn't come up with a long list of potential, yeah. you know, competitors what, for that to, for QB one in the conference, and Dylan Gabriel is a pretty as strong a nomination as I think you're going to get. It's uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of QB turnover, but again, I want to just make go back to my one point about that Kansas game. Here are Kansas's scoring drives in that game. You ready? <laughs> This is all Caleb Williams' fault. 14 plays, 80 yards. 12 plays, 69 yards. Kansas also missed a field goal after an 11-play, 50-yard drive. Uh, They had a 10-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. They had another 5-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. Yeah, that was all Caleb Williams' fault. What an ass. Are you guys (laughs) skeptical of how much the like how improved these Big 12 defenses were last year? Because I'm kind of looking at this in hindsight and saying, "Eh, there were some shaky quarterback play it could be also interesting the way that we don't it's like the pandemic and the way that the practice habits had to change for teams you don't know quite how well those impacted offenses and i feel like 2022 we could get a much maybe when things are normalized again we'll get a much clearer picture of whether those defenses improved or not i don't think oklahoma state success was um faults or inflated I no. think Oklahoma State had was very, very good. They played solid and fundamental defense. Yeah, and they did a good job of get, rushing the passer, creating pressure, um, and, and having a back end of the defense that built off that. 
I don't think that, uh, and I don't have their numbers pulled up, but like I don't think Kansas State's defensive success, however much there is or isn't, I don't think that that would be fraudulent just because that feels like it's such a key part of what they do. And then the Big 12 champion, Baylor Bears, again, we go back to, that, that might be the one to look because we kept talking about how Baylor's defense always seems to um, be making the right moves, how their heights, weights, and prospect rankings don't always pop out at you, but we really enjoyed watching Baylor play defense. Maybe that leg up that they had on the offenses might be a place where we see some regression. But I, for right now, I will attribute that to Dave Aranda. The quarterbacks who threw more than 100 passes in Big 12 conference play last year, Spencer Sanders, Jared Deggy, who's now gone, uh, Brock Purdy, gone, Casey Thompson, Skyler Thompson, gone, Jerry Bohannon, uh, Caleb Williams, gone, Max Duggan, Henry Columbia, I think gone, uh, Jalen Daniels of Kansas, Donovan Smith, who I think has a shot to be the best quarterback in the Big 12. Like, I'm not saying he's going to be, but tools-wise, if you go back and watch, he had some really nice games. He also had yeah. some kind of shaky games, but like he's, he can make some big-time throws. And that Zach Kitley offense, the, the member Texas Tech. Texas, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, let's get yeah. some context for the listeners because you said Donovan, Donovan Smith. And I was like, ooh, I don't know. I, I know that we've it's got a deep like, cut. Yeah, I know we've got some hardcore college football fans, especially listening here in March, but that is Texas Tech quarterback Donovan Smith. Right. And if you so, look at and if you look at his kid. best games, they were against Iowa State. They were against Baylor. He played well against Mississippi State in the bowl game. So no, there's upside there. He's got some tools. Zach Kitley was the Houston Baptist OC who then went to Western Kentucky, and Western Kentucky went to the uh, CUSA Conference Championship game uh, basically on the back of that offense last year. They're gonna, he, I think he'll throw for a million ar- yards there. I, like that's, that's a nice combo. Sorry about the vacuum in the background. It's okay. <laughs> got to clean this house. Yeah, I got to clean the house. Come on. All right. Uh, this next question. Here we go. I found your podcast last summer and haven't missed one since. Greatly appreciate your insight and knowledge as well as tackling, quote, what if questions. My question is, take a school like Iowa State. Although they have rabid fans selling out football and basketball, even through the darkest days, they don't have large boosters. And the larger boosters they do have aren't interested in working NIL deals. Fans of schools like this might want to find some sort of equal playing field. With NIL and the future landscape of football changing, schools like Iowa State, Kansas State, Purdue, and more won't have a fighting chance to stay competitive. I have to think that there are many more schools like Iowa State than Texas A&M. What does the future look like for those schools? And I will just very quickly say, I cannot say that Iowa State does not have boosters who are unwilling to strike NIL deals. That might be true, but that does feel like a little bit of a blanket assumption to me. But I've, the, the essence of the question I still thought was a very interesting one because, like we mentioned earlier in the show, it's a very different playing field in terms of uh, how, how much money you're going to be able to rally together for NIL efforts for your players. Farm money spends just as well as corporate money. Do you think a bit is there, uh, do you get the sense that the notion that some of these other programs aren't are either not going to be able to pull the money together or unwilling to do so. Do you get the notion that that's a, that there's any credence to that? I'm sure. Yeah. I I've said from the start, the thing with NIL is it's not going to even the playing field. It's just going to make the rich get richer because the programs that have more people who are more quote unquote fervent about their football program and their program succeeding are going to be willing to do things that others aren't. And whether that's Iowa state or any other program, I don't think it's as much about who has the money as it is the culture and the concern about it. Like if you have a booster, it doesn't matter. Like you could have the richest man in the world be an alumni of your school, but if he doesn't give a damn about your football program, it's really not going to do much of anything for you. So uh, two things, Chip, can you read the question one more time? Sure. Um, Take a school like Iowa State. Although they have rabid fans selling out football and basketball, even through the darkest days, they don't have large boosters. And the larger boosters they do have aren't interested in working NIL deals. Fans of schools like this might want to find some sort of equal playing field uh, with NIL and the future landscape of football changing. Schools like Iowa State, Kansas State, Purdue, and more won't have a fighting chance to stay competitive. I have to think there are more schools like Iowa State than Texas A&M. Okay, so I totally reject the premise of the question, uh, the whole idea of staying competitive for conference titles. 
right? Uh, in my lifetime, Purdue has won one conference title. That was in 2000. Uh, Kansas State has won two. That was in 2003, 2012. Iowa State uh, has last won one in 1912, so over 100 years ago. For the most part, I just totally agree with Tom. The same schools that are already good are going to stay good. Football, like college football, is not an even playing field. We don't watch most of these teams because they have a real shot to, you know, win a conference title or win a win a you know national title. Now we lie to ourselves a little bit and say that they do, and fans will continue to lie to themselves and tell and tell themselves that they do. When for the most part they don't. The bottom line here is that there will be a few teams, I think, and we've talked about this as an episode I think, a couple weeks ago, who might have a chance to really have a glow up with NIL. I'm looking at you, Michigan. Schools that are traditionally kind of above the the level of paying players that some other traditionally successful schools do. But now that it's legal and getting more legal, might be willing to jump into that fold. Maybe Notre Dame here would also classify, right? Notre Dame's a little different because the whole academic thing and who you can get into school. But every school can still only take 25 players a year. Texas A&M cannot go spend $15 million and sign 50 guys, Right the trickle-down effect is still going to be the same, right? And, you know, you as a number one player at Iowa State or Purdue or Kansas State might make more money than being the 23rd player on, I don't know, uh, Texas's roster. So I would just say, don't worry about this. Like, it's not going to affect what you see on the field for the most part. I'm not trying to be a jerk about this, but, like, those schools are not schools that compete for anything right now anyway. I mean, <laughs> I, I it depends on your expectations, right? It's like, what's, do you think that, um, do you think that you have to engage your fan base in a way that is not already being engaged? Like, do you think there's not some, I, I know for a fact, I know some of the human beings involved with it, that Purdue is asking for a lot of money from its biggest donors to be able to fund the needs and to fund the efforts that are going to allow Purdue to be able to be successful, not just in football, but in basketball as well. And that there are boosters that are excited and willing to give some of the money. I think that there's a, there is just not a, a, a strong dividing line in the sand between the teams that, uh, do care and are, are between the Texas A&Ms and, and between everyone else because Texas A&M has always cared and it's always had a bunch of money. It's always had that oil money and Texas A&M, hey, you just listed off the conference championships. Texas A&M's last conference division title, I think was 2010. Mm-hmm. Doesn't yeah. even have a conference championship in decades. So it just because you've got the, the big coffers and the big boosters and the millions of dollars, that does not necessarily, I mean, it works the other way too. That does not necessarily mean you're going to be able to go out and buy yourself a championship. All right. Let's see. We got one more. Speaking of the big dogs and NIL, let's talk about Georgia. All right. Uh, question. Would like to get your thoughts on Georgia this upcoming season and their chances of getting back to the title game. They've had a few changes to the staff while returning most of the offense parentheses, as well as adding Eric Gilbert. And he, I didn't even talked about that, but he did. Uh, he is, he's around uh, and also returning half the defense, no incoming transfers as of now, which could change course after the spring. Most of the hype is around Alabama and Ohio state this offseason, which I certainly believe is warranted. However, I anticipate Georgia will be right there with them in contention come playoff time as they have a very favorable regular season schedule. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think they're going to repeat as national champs, but I do think that they're going to be the best team in the SEC East. They're going to get Atlanta to Atlanta. And then if you get to Atlanta and you beat Alabama again, who's you're probably going to end up playing, maybe you end up facing A&M, LSU, Auburn, somebody we don't expect. But if you've got a good chance to get to Atlanta and you're in the SEC, then yes, you are a playoff contender. But I do think that there is a lot of change going on. And I do think that, well... I don't hate him as much as Bud does. I do think that if Stetson Bennett doesn't improve or there isn't an improvement at the quarterback position, it will be difficult to do it two years in a row. So I, I think this is a team that could end up, it's it's not going to go undefeated. It is not going to be as dominant as it was last year, but it's still going to be one of the five best teams in the country probably. 
I completely agree with Tom. Um, my thoughts on Stetson Bennett are well known. Um, you know, but I the one thing I'll note here is I, I just got done watching uh, the Nike Coach of the Year clinics, uh, and I, I watched the the one from Georgia. And Kirby Smart talked about how they had to do things differently this year because their defensive backs basically were not as skilled as they've been in the past. They were also not very good blitzers, and they had some really special pass rushers uh, in the front seven not only from the defensive line, but also from the linebacker. And he was talking about different concepts they run and different schemes. And I'm not going to get into all that here because we don't really have video to show it. Maybe maybe some of the offseason we'll try to play with little video elements here because I thought it was neat to show you know, how even a team as loaded as Georgia had to overcome some internal obstacles and, and, and really feature their best players. But one thing Kirby Smart had to stop and say when he's presenting to these high school coaches on probably every third clip was, now, look, this actually worked because this guy is a total freak and we've never had a guy like this. And he's talking about, you know, Nicobe Dean or, or like a Quay Walker or, you know, Jordan Davis. It's like, now, look, we, we did this slant. We, we, we did this loop. Now, ultimately, like, you know, it worked because 99, Jordan Davis just took this guy and threw him in the air. Uh, but you could see the design that we had that we had intended to use here. Right. And, and I bring all this up to say, look, like. Georgia had a tremendously coached defense, a very talented defense. They also had like a historically uh, pretty special front seven guys who just they're beyond freaky athletically. And you know Jordan Davis went when, when he was in shape. Devontae Wyatt, who was a you know an excellent wrestler in high school and a good running back, who was oh, Nolan Smith's back. You know, I mean, just like yeah. even, even he was. Tra you know, Walker, like Trayvon yeah. Walker on any other team is a total freak, and mm. you know he was sort of. I mean, he led them in defensive line snaps, but Nakobe uh, Dean so smart, right? Quay, you know, Quay Walker, Channing Tindall, you know, got, got a lot of snaps for these dudes. Uh, it, I think they will probably take somewhat of a step back on defense, uh, not a huge one because they recruit really, really well. But even if you recruit well, there are some defenses in some years where it's like, okay, this was just, this was different, right? Um, you know, I think back to like the. The other defenses that match up to them as far as points allowed, if you look at like, like an adjusted thing, um, I know Connolly has uh, like the one Alabama team and then like the 2013 FSU team, which had Jalen Ramsey couldn't get on the field as a corner. You know, so they had, they had to play him as a free safety, right? Like those type of loaded squads. We'll see how they, how they play. I think they'll probably have to get better play from the secondary because it, it's almost impossible to avoid a little bit of a front seven drop off. And that really was a special unit in the history of the sport. Um, well, go ahead. Sticking on the Georgia theme and, and the players, um, going and also kicking on where we started the show, I had a debate with a friend about this. I was wondering what you guys would think. Just taking into consideration talent, position, you know, value of position, all that kind of stuff. Would you rather use a first round pick on Jordan Davis or a second round pick on Devontae Wyatt? Wyatt. Chip? Second on Wyatt. Same. This other person is a very big Jordan Davis fan. It's like I get it, but I'm not. I am the too. First round pick on Jordan Davis. It's it's a passing league. Mm -hmm. Timmy Jernigan was pretty successful at the NFL, right? Yeah, but not yeah, he, I me. Mean, he, he stuck around. But like, you know? see, for me, like my philosophy at this point is, if I'm getting a defensive tackle in the first round, he needs to be a disruptor. He needs to get to the quarterback on his own. I don't want a guy who gets a sack when the edge rushers force the quarterback up into the pocket into his arms i want a guy who's blowing up the play and to me jordan davis is not blowing up the play as often as you'd want so kirby talked about this too in, in, in his, his nike presentation he said look like we used to play what we would call base right and it's a more fundamentally sound thing for us and it's taking on blocks and not as much about penetration but he said hey this is a passing game now we need we, like we, we need to be thinking about how do we pass rush from every defensive call we make. And it used to not be that way. And now we have to think pass rush first, run fit second, which I thought was pretty interesting and, and a very recent change from when you follow mm -hmm. what they did at Alabama. Um, that 2011 defense was not thinking pass rush first, run fit second. He said the other thing is for us, it's, it's, uh, it's much easier to recruit defensive linemen if you get to truthfully tell them you'll be disruptors and not just a guy who's going to eat up blocks. So... Is that like uh, more stunts, twists, and like uh, more and getting upfield, right? Yeah, like yeah, like you're 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 more not aggressive. Don't you're not playing head hole. up on a guy. Yeah. You know you're 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 taking a half man and, and trying to penetrate. Yeah, it's like it's it's there's just it's 
do you want to, is my job to just stand here and suck up space? And if they run into me, they run into me, or am I allowed to just go out and not really worry about, you know, am I allowed to go get the quarterback? It's more fun to go get the quarterback. Um, yeah. But the reason I mentioned Timmy Jernigan is because that comes to mind with the 13 defense where I just thought that like what he was able to do to crush yeah. the interior offensive lines, especially of a lot of ACC schools, it was just absolutely unreal. I mean, the the length of the guys on that defense who are still in the NFL is crazy. I mean, Darby, I think, is still in the league, right? Ronald Darby? Uh, I think so, yeah. P.J. Williams is definitely still with the yes. Saints as a corner. Terrence Brooks, I think, is still with the Ravens or the Eagles. Uh, Jalen Ramsey's obviously still in the league. LaMarcus Joyner was their nickel. Uh, you know, that worked out pretty well. Telvin Smith is not in the league, I don't think, right now. He's had some personal problems. Um, Eddie Goldman? Is still yep, on the Bears. Bears, yep. I don't know you if he'll know. be next year, but he's still there now. I mean, we're talking nine years later, and uh, and I think Mario, I think Edwards Jr. is still uh, is still in. So the the chat um, the the chat mentioned something. We can do a quick exercise before we get out of here. Uh, Down South Soldier says Georgia loses one game. Fan Addict says possible, but on a game by game basis, it's hard to find that one game. So I have Georgia's schedule for 2022 pulled up. And as I speak very slowly, in case you all want to as well, what's the game? If Georgia is to lose one regular season game in 2022, what game do you think it would be? And for those listening at home who don't have it pulled up, I'll run through it quickly. They open with Oregon. Then they play Sanford at South Carolina, Kent State home at Missouri, Auburn home, Vanderbilt home, Obviously, Florida, Jacksonville, Tennessee, home, Mississippi State Road, Kentucky Road, home against Georgia Tech for good old-fashioned hate. Man, I don't know. I'll take a stab. Um, If I had to pick one game for Georgia to lose, and I don't think they'll lose it, I'm going to pick the game at Kentucky. uh, Back-to-back road games? Back-to-back road games. Either one of those two could be really, really dangerous, especially in the wake of getting Florida behind you, getting Tennessee behind you. Like what if Mike Leach comes out and just has the game plan and kind of four straight games in a row, Yeah, you know, like uh, four straight different systems. Like Florida is going to run something very different from Tennessee who will run something different from Mississippi state who will run something very different from Kentucky. Kentucky is usually uh, dependable on the lines of scrimmage this past year. That didn't actually matter because Georgia just mauled them anyway. I don't know that Georgia has the quite the same level of freak defensively coming up this year. I mean, Jalen Carter's a freak, but uh, and they recruit well, obviously, as we've said a couple times. But I, I could see that. The other reason I want to pick that game because if you see Georgia losing a regular season game, and you actually have a reason for it, not just hey, like it's likely to happen because losses happen. If injuries were to mount, they're more likely to have mounted by the end of the year. You know, and and the the, the attrition level of the entire season. Mm-hmm. Maybe Georgia limps into that game and takes a loss. Obviously, I hope nobody gets injured, but uh, you know, I could. That's my reasoning for that, I guess. Yeah, I would go the. I, I think Kentucky's a good call. I would say maybe Florida just because of the rivalry aspect to it. Um, sure. Last year, Kentucky and Georgia was uh, SEC on CBS game of the week. It was zero zero at the end of the first quarter. It was fourteen to seven at halftime. Kentucky's defense kind of had the clamps on uh, Stetson Bennett and that Bulldogs offense. Eventually, kind of broke away from them. Uh, the Bulldogs end up winning thirty to thirteen. But I, I do not think that it was a game that when Kentucky's defense was on the field against Georgia's offense, Kentucky was in in the battle, was very much a competitor there. Um, I like that, Kentucky or Mississippi State. If you would like to add a question to a future mailbag episode, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review. You can tell us who your sister's crush was on, you know, whether it was <laughs> Sam Bradford or, you know, you can throw us, uh, you know, some of these interesting questions where we get a chance to, uh, to break down uh, – schedules get a chance to break down who's going to be the best quarterback in the big 12 all these things it's whatever you want as the listener so go and leave us a five-star review put your question in there we will add it to a future mailbag episode you can follow him on twitter at tom Fernelli. you can follow him at bud elliott three you can follow me at chip underscore patterson we will be back with you monday at noon that's right mondays at threes have become monday at noon change it in your calendar or better yet just subscribe to the youtube channel and smash the bell for notifications so that we'll 
we'll let you know when we're going live Monday noon, youtube.com slash cover three. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.